Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Overcoming Chronic Illness podcast. My name is Dr. Brian Raid, and I'm a naturopathic doctor. And I am joined today by Dr. Bruce Hoffman. Uh, Dr. Hoffman runs the Hoffman Center for Integrative and Functional Medicine in beautiful Alberta, Canada. I believe they're based out of Calgary, um, which is a city in Alberta, Canada, for any non-Canadians who might not know that. Um, and I've been looking forward to talking with Dr. Hoffman for a few weeks now. Um, uh, if you've listened to other episodes of the podcast, you may have um, heard the interview I had a few weeks ago. Jeez, where's the time go? I don't know, six to eight weeks ago, uh, sometime around the summer or fall of 2023 um, with a nutritionist named Justine Stenger. Uh, Dr. Or, um, uh, Justine is uh, works at the Hoffman uh, Center for Integrative and Functional Medicine. And we had a great chat about a number of different topics, um, but primarily revolving around uh, the use of certain phospholipids for treating different um, issues. So we had we had a great conversation, and then we were chatting about uh, Dr. Hoffman's uh, some of his uh, kind of uh, well. Justine mentioned how he has certain approaches that are really quite inspirational and great, and I asked her to elaborate on that. And she said, "You know, you should really just talk to Dr. Hoffman, and and you're straight from the horse's mouth." Um, so uh, uh, fortunately, Dr. Hoffman was generous enough to take some of his time to chat with me today, and so I am looking forward to picking his brain about the uh, fossil uh, the phospholipid therapy, um, just to see what kind of experience he's had in practice. Uh, my understanding. Is he also recommends neurofeedback for his patients, which is something that we've been doing at our clinic for the last little while. So I'm looking forward to talking to him about that and uh, just to see what his overall philosophy is with treating folks dealing with complex chronic illness. So I think it'll be a great chat and I hope that it will be of interest to you folks listening as well. So I am just going to pause the recording for a second and I'll rejoin with Dr. Hoffman in just a moment. All right, everyone. So I'm back now with Dr. Hoffman. Uh, Dr. Hoffman, thanks so much for joining me today. Uh, hi, hi. Pleased to meet you, Brian. Nice to meet you too. Um, so Dr. Hoffman, I've got a bunch of questions for you, um, but before we get into the questions, would you mind just uh, telling listeners um, how you got involved working with folks dealing with complex chronic illness? It was a gradual evolution over time, working, you know, starting out in family practice and then gradually as one accumulates more education and more experience, you find yourself gravitating to those areas that um, inspire you and which you can be of the most benefit to people. And it's so cool. It appears that now I deal with um, people with multi-system, multi-symptom systems biology issues, um, which is very different from what we learned at med school, as you're aware, which is silo-based individual organ, individual treatment. It's a very different paradigm and mm -hmm. they, they have almost very little in common, which is, as you know, I mean, they have a lot in common because there's underlying pathogenesis, but in terms of really understanding and helping people, if you're not thinking in sort of high level systems biology, you can't really, and also taking into account the interior psych psychology of the individual and the family systems that they came from and the environmental exposures they have and the multiple um, uh, potential problems that may be impinging on their physical bodies, you can't really help orientate them to the therapeutic process. So it's a very different paradigm from what we learned at med school or naturopathic college, as you're aware. So I just graduated to it as my education expanded and my knowledge base expanded and my client base expanded over over the decades really 
I calculated I've done over approaching 300 conferences since 2000, just on, as you do, learning different insights to autism and Lyme and mold and mast cell, et cetera, et cetera. Wow. Yeah. 300 is, is impressive to say the least. I think you got me beat there. Um, and I pride myself on my uh, continuing education uh, addiction. So that's, uh, that's impressive. When you're inspired, you just, that's what you do. You know, it's just, you just get up and go to conferences or now, now with zoom, it's great, but it's true. Yeah. You're going back to, on, you have to go in person again, which is much to my horror. I like to doing it on zoom. Me, me too. Yeah. It doesn't take me away from my family as much and it saves on the hotel bills and yeah, it's yeah. less radiation exposure on airplanes. There's lots of good benefits to the online. Yep. Um, well, I, I'd like to pick your brain a bit, uh, Dr. Hoffman about the, um, kind of the approach that you use. I, as I believe you know, I spoke with uh, one of your colleagues, uh, Justine, um, several weeks ago and she, uh, kind of put us in touch. So I'm thankful to her for that. And she mentioned, um, and I'm sorry, I, I'm, uh, blanking on the exact, uh, terminology, but I think she said that there's like, um, certain number of like pillars or levels, or, or you have like kind yeah. of a system that you work within. So, uh, I'd like to ask you about that. Um, and just, just yeah. before you, you get into that, um, I just want to remind listeners that nothing that we're saying today should be construed as medical advice. This is all for informational purposes only. If you need medical advice, please talk to your healthcare provider to get that advice. But uh, with, with that out of the way, Dr. Hoffman, would you mind speaking to the approach that you take, please? Yeah, sure. Um, so when, when people book appointments with me, um, my sort of internal sort of checklist is um, is subjective and objective. I want to know who the person is sitting in front of me. I And I also want to know um, objective data about them. So I use an internal checklist, um, which I developed over the years called the seven stage model to health and transformation. And it's based on an Ayurvedic model whereby the individual self is broken down into layers and levels. They call them separate bodies. And um, for simplicity's sakes, I use the model of the first stage is the stage of the environmental exposures. That's the earth outside of us, the, the air, the water, the food that we eat, and the potential for toxicity from those exposures. So that's stage one or level one. Level two is all to do with biochemistry and structure, so the physical entity. And I look at that both from a pathology point of view, using my medical training, and I look at it from a functional systems biology point of view, using functional medicine insights, the so-called model of antecedents, mediators and triggers, as you're familiar with. And I'm using, particularly in that model, uh, the recent um, work of Dr. Robert Naveau, who has posited the cell danger response as being underlying and underpinning many of the um, symptoms and signs of chronic complex illness, meaning that the mitochondria are the, not only are the uh, organelle in the body that transmute food or macronutrients and micronutrients to energy, but they're also the first line of cellular defense. So whenever toxic load exceeds the capacity to detoxify, the outer electrical membrane of the cell changes, the phospholipid bilayer changes, 
There's this cascade of inflammatory cytokines that then damage the DNA, that then goes outside the cell, that then becomes pro-inflammatory along with ATP, that then activates mast cells, that then activates further peroxynitrate and damage continues in this inflammatory cycle, just continues unless, and Robert Naveau's greatest contribution, unless you start signaling into the mitochondrial inflammatory cycle, what he calls cellulogenesis, you put into the cycle um, transcription factors and nutrients and uh, any for form of signaling interventions that get you out of this chronic inflammatory cycle. You can't just sit back, treat it with a drug and hope for the best. You've got to remove the triggers and put into the system those systems, those molecules, those interventions, those nutraceuticals, hormones, et cetera, that repair the cycle and restore an individual to what is called the, the health cycle. The health cycle is the resilient cycle where your circadian rhythms are established, you sleep soundly, you exercise soundly, you're grounded, you're connected, um, and you have resilience to the slings and arrows of life. <laughs> which are quite considerable these days. Indeed. So that's level two. And then level three is all to do with the autonomic nervous system, the brain, and the electromagnetic reality, you know. So as the work of Jack Cruz and others showing that we're electrical beings, and it's actually the electrical signaling from our DNA that then orchestrates a lot of the stage two biochemistry. And so it behooves us to be insightful as to not only our external electromagnetic exposures, but whether our, our own internal um, electromagnetic signaling is coherent or incoherent. And that's another whole discussion. But that has a lot to do also with the Paul Jez's polyvagal dorsal collapse theory. Many people present in, um, they're not in coherence, they are more sympathetically driven or they endorse vagal shutdown, whereby the autonomic nervous system is uh, not able to restore health, just like the mitochondria can't be restored back to health. And those individuals will often need a lot of neurobiofeedback training, somatic experiencing, integrated body psychotherapies, external devices, uh, um, red light therapies, lasers, there's a whole slew of potential therapeutic benefits that help modulate that, um, that's, that dorsal vagal shutdown response. So that's level three. And then level four in my model is, um, I, you know, we know that it was highly, uh, highly symptomatic and and uh, dysregulated, the capacity to self-regulate is um, distorted. The parent is meant to be the external regulator of the emerging reptilian, emotional, and um, uh, adult brains over 30 years as the child learns to orientate themselves emotionally and physically to the world. And if there's early developmental trauma, either neglect trauma or abuse trauma, the emerging um, prefrontal cortex of the child is dysregulated and their ability to self-regulate gets severely um, 
incapacitated or dysregulated, leading to different attachment style problems and so forth and so on, personality disorders even. So I attempt to I attempt to take a, a history of early developmental trauma. And if the person is dysregulated, and we see that through heart rate variability, we see that through QEEGs, um, and just taking a history, then one of the primary interventions that we do at our clinic is teaching them to self-regulate. And that is not easy. <laughs> Neuroplasticity is, 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 is quite a concept and it's not done overnight, you know? Mm -hmm. And so to change the way the brain is orientated to the world and to change the default mode and network of the brain it's a, a year at least of continuous practice, you know, twice a day, continual um, somatic work sometimes. Uh, and now with the emerging psychedelic therapies, often we have to use those in order to short circuit the part of the brain that's habituated to the old patterns of behavior, uh, not only to address trauma, but then to go and address spiritual yearnings. And there's a whole discussion around psychedelics which is very exciting and mm -hmm. um which we can talk about <laughs> maybe later sure. and then level, level five is all to do with ego development and the and the ego development of the first half of life and the internal dialogue and the defenses we have the operational sense of the self and i really want to know you know when i'm sitting in front of a person is that capacity to be resilient, resourceful, how present is it and how resistant is it? We get many people highly intellectual, highly resistant, highly defended, and that, that, that individual is impenetrable. And you can't work with them at the lower levels because their defenses are so rigid and defended. So one has to know what defenses are there, what the internal dialogue is, and uh, how ready they are to make changes. And one has to adjust one's own internal state to try and meet them where they are. You know, often, you know, people with adverse childhood experiences project onto you any unresolved issues they have with mother and father. And then all of a sudden you're sitting with projections and resistances and they have an intellectual need to get better, but they are psychologically defended. And unless you address that high resistance or very fragile, you know, capacities, you can't really intervene with biochemistry and, and diet and detox and all the rest of it. There's no, there's no huge resource for them to do that. So you have to help them build that capacity of resilience which can be in and of itself a year's worth of work before you get to treat the mold and the lion and everything else. Mm. I'm sure you've encountered that many times. Yeah. So that's big. Um, the first half of life, the patients should present very different from the second half of life. People who are over 40, they have a different agenda often. They're shifting from the drives of the first half of life to the calling of the, we call it the, the inner world, the psyche, the soul. They need to know who they are. They need to call back parts of themselves they've left behind in the pursuit of the first half of life drives. 
And so a person who presents ill in the first second half of life has a very different agenda than those in the first half of life. And it, I believe it behooves us to know the difference. And then um, the uh, that's the fifth level. The sixth level is to do with the inner cartography of the personal self, the unconscious, if you will, the shadow, the projections of the shadow, the archetypes that drive us, and the collective unconscious with collective archetypes that drive ourselves as, as a culture. And often we have to know the uh, cultural background of individuals. We have to know at which stage of life people are. We have to know how much inner work they've done. We have to know um, what their soul wants of them. And in that level, I'm always looking at symptoms as teleological. Symptoms are pointing us in the direction where people haven't looked consciously at what they need to look at in order to achieve what we would call um, individuation or knowing their, themselves as much as they are capable of knowing themselves. So for that work, I use a lot of I use a lot of Jungian psychoanalytic work. I um, probe the depths of al alchemy as much as I can in a limited fashion. Uh, Carl Jung was a great pioneer of the objective reality of the psyche, the inner world, and he used alchemical texts to help him create some of the insights uh, around that. And then level seven is the, uh, the so-called spiritual aspects of the self, which are non-local, nothing to do with the individual self, but placing the self in the context of a larger reality, the, the mystery, you know, <laughs> the mystery of where on earth did this all begin? Where is it all going to end? And of course, we have no answers for that. Mm -hmm. uh, it's an existential sort of orientation to the great mysteries of life and how people navigate and negotiate themselves. Because at that reality, you know, the, the, the evidence of our own unimportance against the background of infinity is somewhat overwhelming. So what do you do with that? You know, you can treat your Lyme disease, but then what? You know? <laughs> Uh, so I like to sort of have all of these uh, alive in my interaction, of course, at different layers and levels. Everybody comes with physical stuff, so you want to do a physical history, both traditional medical and, 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 um, and functional. Mm -hmm. um, but of course, the key cardinal uh, feature of, of all successful outcomes is whether or not you can establish an empathic limbic resonance with the client, with the patient. If there is no trust, nothing can happen, you know, because then you just become a talking head with a bunch of data. He's a, oh, you got mold, take the cholestyramine. Well, and the person doesn't trust you and they don't believe you. <laughs> and there's no uh, salience, there's no relevance and there's no connection. That's why doing Zoom calls is difficult. Um, sometimes you've got to be in the in the biosphere of the individual to really, you know, see them and look at them in the eyes and make eye contact. And you know, Paul Jesus' great contribution of the polyvagal theory was 
the upper ventral vagus is all to do with trust and to do with the the eyes and the the, the tone of voice and the smile and when a good mother looks at the child, that that's all active. You know, you smile and mm -hmm. and and there's a, the twinkle in the eye, the gleam in the eye, that establishes safety in the world. And if if the child doesn't have that, and you don't have that as a therapist because you're a surrogate parent, so the the healer doctor is a very parental archetype. If that's not established in the very beginnings of a of a intervention, uh, you can throw all the therapeutics at an individual, but they'll they'll kick them out. They won't take them in. Well, that's what my belief, that's what I work with. I mean, mm. <laughs> many people get well without using that complex model. So I just have a bias towards the way I work. <laughs> Not saying it's the way, I just, that's how I work. And I do my best sometimes. I'm very level two, like, you know, treat your SIBO and take your probiotic and use your rifaximin. And, and that's the right thing for that level. But uh, the long-term outcomes depend on much more than that. Um, sounds incredibly comprehensive, Dr. Hoffman. And I, I was saying to you before we started uh, recording here that, uh, you know, I have to leave in a little bit to go to a conference, but I feel like I'm getting some continuing education right now. I'm going to have to put this into my uh, my regulatory college to see if I can qualify for some CE hours here because, yeah, it's a really uh, incredibly comprehensive approach. And I really appreciate you sharing that with us. It's really fascinating. Yeah, sure. Um, I, I have a few uh, questions um, sort of uh, from what you said. Uh, I, I feel like we could, I feel like if you were to get into the details of all this, it would be like probably a month long course to try to cover all this. And um, yeah, I, my, the, the sub, so I have a rather grandiose plan in mind, <laughs> forgive me, but mm -hmm. I've, I've titled my seven stage to health and transformation as the new curriculum for whole person healing. I'm going to try in the rest of, of my living days mm -hmm. to establish a curriculum so each subset and each layer gets fleshed out you know into a, a, a diagnostic paradigm and a therapeutic paradigm so it'll take me five lifetimes to flesh it out you know <laughs> so. well uh, let me know in this lifetime or a future lifetime when it's ready to go because i'll happily uh, head out to alberta or or do it via zoom you know yeah. Look, any any good excuse to go to Alberta, though, I'm happy to come visit. So let, let me know when that course is ready to go. I'd love to yeah. learn from you. Sure. Um, uh, I, I one tiny question, uh, just because we had a little uh, connection issue for about five seconds. And it was right when you said the uh, the kind of the, the heading for your level four. I just I didn't catch it. What what would you t uh, call level four? The, so it's the um, so emotional body. Level five is the intellectual. Level three is the electromagnetic. Level two is physical, physical and structural. Okay. Great. Different bodies, different. They call them koshas in Ayurveda. I did a lot of studying in Ayurveda in India. Mm -hmm. Do you say koshas or I've heard of the doshas, but is it? Am I no, hearing that wrong? Is, koshas is K. That's the bodies. Doshas is the personality profile. Oh, okay, okay, gotcha. I work a lot with those. Doshas are very important. The few, the few sort of things I work with a lot are doshas, Myers-Briggs typology, attachment styles. Um, I, I need to know those in, in intimate detail when I'm working with a patient because how they present and how you work with them 
you've not only got to negotiate your own biases and you've got to know what they're presenting with so you can interact appropriately. A person with anxious attachment styles and introvert, extrovert, and vita dosha versus kapha, very different uh, ways you interact with them. You can't just blanketly use the same pro, you know, inner state to meet them. You've got to adjust your own internal state in order to meet where they are. You know? Yeah, that's really, really insightful. Yeah, I've, I've noticed that with my patients and I've thought like it would be really fascinating to take the time to try to figure out some subtyping. But um, yeah, uh, uh, there's these pre-existing sub systems. Oh, sorry, what were you going to say? I, I just use questionnaires and I read them before I get online. And then, right, I, right. And then I just, you know, I look at Myers-Briggs, you know, mm -hmm. INTP. I mean, a, a, an introvert is very different from an extrovert, uh, a thinking and a feeling type. And if you don't adjust accordingly, you get into all kinds of pickles. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. And it's it's all the art of medicine. The, the science of medicine is beautiful. I love it. But the art of medicine is another whole saga. You know, it's, there's a lot to it. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Um, well, um, maybe to uh, dip our toe back into the just more strictly science um, aspect of it, if you don't mind, Dr. Hoffman, because uh, I know folks listening to the podcast are generally wondering about, you know, um, uh, you know, supplements or different treatment methods and things like that. And, and uh, you're, you're preaching to the converted with me. And I think I'm of sure course. to much of my audience where we, you know, um, you know, the higher level work is, is so, so, so important. Um, and, and that's something where um, you can't just take a pill for that. You know, as you said, it's a long process. You need to work with the right people, the right, the right approaches and whatnot. Um, so around the, um, kind of getting back to level two, like the biochemical aspect of things. And I appreciate you bringing up the work of Dr. Navio, who, you know, I think is a huge asset to big, huge. big gift to our, to our, our world and our, our, uh, a complex chronic health uh, issue uh, community, um, but where you mentioned, uh, you know, putting different, and I'm paraphr paraphrasing here a bit, but putting different agents into the system to kind of interrupt the cell danger response. So, you know, we, we've talked a lot on the podcast, um, previous episodes about the importance of treating, you know, and getting rid of mold and heavy metals, Lyme, co-infections. And I'd love to pick your brain about all that stuff too, but we won't have time to cover everything today, yeah. but I'm just wondering if you could speak to some of the agents that you found to be, um, you know, amongst the, uh, amongst the most uh, helpful, um, on average, everyone's different. Of course, everybody needs a certain protocol, but in terms of like your maybe top, you know, three or four, like heaviest hitters that you yeah. see the most consistently yeah. helpful, would you mind speaking to that, please? Yeah. Yeah, sure. So, uh, complex patients, a, you've got to get them self-regulating. So they've got to learn some practice of self-regulation. There's many, many techniques. That's number one. Number two, if they've got POTS, if you don't treat POTS, forget about it. You're not going to get anywhere. Mm -hmm. Then we address POTS. Number three, we address micelle activation syndrome. Because if you can't treat micelle, they're going to react to everything. And I, I don't know what your patient load is, but I've got the patients that have three foods and they can't take any supplements. And they're malnourished and, yeah. and, they, and they're dysregulated. That's my, my patient base, basically. So self-regulation, POTS treatment, micelle stabilization. Then I get all the rest of the functional medicine labs, and then I, I, I look and see hierarchically where they are at in terms of their deficiencies or excesses. And then I start repairing cell membranes. And that's when I start using phospholipids and fats and oils. And 99% of my patients are very dysregulated in omega-6, omega-3, omega-9, saturated fats, plasmologens. So the next big level of intervention let me just step one step back. 
nutritional stabilization. Nutritional stabilization, we, Justine does all my nutritional work. We do uh, a first intake, and then the second is doing a chronometer and blood sugar regulation, where she assesses eight days of diet and 14 days of blood sugar. If we don't get the macro, micronutrients and the food stabilized, forget it. I won't work with the patient. You can't. It's impossible. Mm -hmm. So we do nutrition, then we do interventions, and we use phospholipids and fats and oils. We use tons of different oils, but we titrate it against the deficiencies and excesses on the lab testing. And most people come in omega-3 saturated because they're all on fish oil and omega-6 depleted. So they all need linoleic acid and, and, and um, evening primrose. And many people need arachidonic acid. Everybody thinks arachidonic acid is disastrous, but it's not. Mm. If you don't have enough arachidonic acid, which we get from egg yolk, which many people can't take because they're muscle active, then you're not going to stabilize the immune system and the prostaglandins, et cetera. So... So then it's fats and then it's all the rest, you know, all the all the nutraceuticals that we that we we use. So most of my patients that come here go through that. And then we put we do intravenous myocell stabilization. We do IV Benadryl, IV Ativan to lower the amygdala hyperactivity, which is always accompanying myocell activation in my world. And then we start to put on the foods and supplements so that they're not so micelle active. So we do IV Benadryl, IV Ativan, and then put on the rest of the nutraceuticals and try and add more foods over time. And it's a long process. It's uh, two steps forward, one step back. They're highly complex and highly reactive individuals. I don't touch them. I don't touch the Lyme disease until six months in. Don't go near it. Mm -hmm. Don't go near it. Just because people will react, like flare up too badly? Or what's the you, reason? You can't go treating Lyme disease when your basic architecture of the basement of the of the individual is 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 rotten. Not rotten, that's a horrible word. <laughs> is def, uh, is uh, defective or insufficient. There we go. That's a good one. You yeah, you can't. And don't go putting people on cholestyramine when their lipid uh, content is, is low. When their fat content is low and you go and put cholestyramine, a binder on for mold, you just made them worse. They'll, they'll crash in front of your eyes because mm -hmm. you're absorbing their lipids, which they need for cell membrane integrity. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, Dr. Hoffman, would you mind just uh, circling back a bit? Um, because I, I haven't had any other guests uh, previously talk about my cell stabilization. Would you mind just uh, fleshing that out a bit more, just explaining what what's that about? And Oh, uh, cell membrane? Cell membrane medicine? Oh, uh, the, I think you said the uh, micelle stabilization. Oh, uh, that's my South African accent. Okay, is it like is it micelle? Mast cell. Oh, mast, mast cell. Okay, my my apologies. I thought you were talking about micelles. I was like, okay, like I'm, that's okay. <laughs> that makes that's a lot more sense. Say, what? What? <laughs> it's like I've I've never heard of micelle stabilization. Tell me more. Okay, my my apologies. <laughs> I, South African uh, patients and I love their accents. Uh, it's always very, it's one of the best ones out there, I think. But yes, yeah, sorry, my, uh, my apologies on that one. Okay. Everybody's got mass cell overactivity. Indeed. Indeed. Yeah. And it's a big problem. I work with Dr. Afrin's group, and there's a group of us, about 300 of us, who are constantly in email exchange. We call ourselves the masterminds. <laughs> and so we use a lot of mass cell stabilizing. A, re reducing um, hi histamine foods, uh, 
B, using nutraceuticals, but I use pharmaceuticals very liberally to stabilize my cells, IV and orally. H1 blockers, H2 blockers, uh, leukotriene inhibitors, chromalins, my cell stabilizers. You, you've got a whack-a-mole that to get anywhere because they just sort of react. And then you've got to calm down the amygdala, which is also reacting. Their fear-based response, their lack of trust, they just don't trust themselves, they don't trust their bodies, they don't trust the medical system because it's failed them. They've got medical PTSD most of the time. Yeah. So They've gone so to the ER and said, I've got this, and they say, no, it's all in your head, take SSRI. Yeah. Sequitous everywhere. Very, very sad. Yeah. Very sad, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm curious, Dr. Hoffman, um, just with the Benadryl, like uh, Benadryl is one of my best friends when it comes to working with mast cell stabilization. And I yeah recommend that quite liberally, but uh, I'm just not familiar with IV Benadryl. And I'm just wondering if you wouldn't mind speaking to like, is that just quite a bit faster acting or more effective when the oral form doesn't work? Or is it because there's no preservatives in that one or uh, versus like all the red dyes and everything in the normal Benadryl? What's the advantage of the IV? Well, the oral, the oral micelle stabilizers no, all need to be compounded. You can't go and get them off the shelf because sure. of all the excipients, they just react. Mm -hmm. Benadryl, you can get a children's form of Benadryl, which is relatively dye-free. But if you really have a very active person, you've got to get the all the micelle stabilizers made up in liquid, in water, mm -hmm. sterile water. Mm -hmm. And that only has a half-life of two day, uh, two weeks. So you, they've got to keep constantly buy them. Right, right. So, so what we do, because their guts are so, because there's so many mast cells in the gut, just taking mast cell stabilizers, can they sometimes can't tolerate them. The one that everybody sort of freaks out about is sodium chromoglycate or chromalin. Um, so sometimes the oral introduction of mast cell stabilizers leads to more problems. So we just go straight IV, which bypasses the gut mucosa. And I, so Benadryl is a short-acting H1 blocker. Mm -hmm. So we, I don't use Benadryl. I use ketotophen as my... First generation mast cell stabilizer. I use Benadryl as a rescue remedy in, a, in an acute episode, but I use ketotophen at night as a mast cell stabilizer and antihistamine. And we do IV Benadryl when we're trying to stabilize somebody who's just overreactive all the time. And they come in, get IV Benadryl and Ativan. Everybody freaks out, oh, benzodiazepines. And then you've got the Ashton protocol where everybody says it took me five years to get off benzos. Mm -hmm. When we use it acutely in low doses and stabilize the amygdala fear-based response and use Benadryl, we can then get the person to come in with their new food, their new supplement, take it. So we get them sitting in the chair. We get them self-regulating with the inner balance heart math device or any other device we use. And then we do the IV Benadryl, IV Ativan. Then they try the new supplement. They try the new food sitting here, self-regulating with my cell blockade. And then we see the outcome. And we do that over time, months, weeks to months. So we have people moving to Calgary for six months to a year. Wow. They have to be continuous care. Yeah. It's it's, a, it's like a mini ICU for my cell people. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. that sounds like a, that's a huge undertaking, but... Yeah. yeah, those folks are oftentimes really desperate and just they need they need some it's, intervention. They're very unstable and very fearful and very reactive. And 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 you know, their lives have fallen apart, you know, and their support systems are under stress. It's a it's a very real entity, you know. And they get told that it's all in their head and they need it's just tragic sometimes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I concur. Yeah. Um 
Dr. Hoffman, one one thing I was hoping to chat with you about as well um, that uh, you know, you've you've mentioned it um, already here amongst the many many things you mentioned in terms of the interventions. You, you leave no stone unturned, to say the least. Um, uh, just around neurofeedback, um, about uh, three months ago or so, we brought uh, brain mapping and neurofeedback into our clinic, which we're really excited about. And I was just curious if you wouldn't mind just sharing which uh, system you're using and uh, just maybe speaking to some of the benefits of uh, brain mapping or and, and neurofeedback that you've seen. Yeah, um, it's I can I can hardly work. I mean, I don't know if I ever had to do it without it. I don't know how it worked. I really don't. Wow. So when we do a new, we have a brain treatment center, and so we do heart rate variability. We're looking at the sympathetic parasympathetic state. We do a stress assessment, which is a sort of a it's sort of a biofeedback stress assessment, looking at different parameters of how the body reacts to mental stress in terms of respiratory rate, muscle tension, sweat response, et cetera. So that's number two. We then do a MOCA for cognitive insight. We do a CNS vital sign for executive functioning, and we do a TOVA for concentration. Then we do a 19, we do a CAP, we do a QEEG, and we look at the different brain waves, delta, theta, alpha, and beta brain waves. And we do it eyes open, eyes closed, and we do a Loretta assessment where we're looking at deeper structures. And from that, you try and interpret the biography. You can actually read the biography of a patient off those parameters. You can actually tell the inner state from that often. And you know, people with a, you know, people with head injuries and attention deficit, they're going to have very high theta brain waves, slowed brain waves. Mm -hmm. People with high beta are going to be anxious and have a lot of trauma often. Many often they have low alpha, so their capacity to regulate high beta is very depleted. So they need alpha stimulation and beta reduction and theta reduction. So we do then, we do nine, 20 sessions of neurobiofeedback. We use BrainMaster software. Mm -hmm. um, and and uh, that's the self-regulation piece. We often do remote training with uh, MindLift, BrainTap, Resimax, we do a lot of the safe and sound protocols from Porges for mm -hmm. those with high trauma. Mm -hmm. We just do different protocols for different needs. And again, assessing the needs of the individual, the capacity to afford it, the capacity to do it, the resilience of the patient, the resources. Some people are just too exhausted, they can't do much. And so we have to titrate it according to the capacity to do it. Yeah. We try our best anyway. It, as you said, it's an art form. It's it's uh, yeah, it constantly ch change. You can't be dogmatic. Mm -hmm. You can't be too self. You can't be too self righteously. Um, certain things, certain things that happen as you get more experience as a practitioner. Your gratitude and love for the patients grow. You don't see them as all sick. You see the healthy parts of themselves, but you do get a certain certainty about certain things. And it's not a dogmatic patriarchal imposition of certainty. It's just a certainty. It's just like, if you don't self-regulate, it's no use coming back to me. If you don't treat your pots in this way and submit your 10-minute lean NASA test to me before I get on the line call with you, it's not worth you doing the call. That's not arrogant patriarchy. That's just certainty. And I think that's a cardinal pillar of healing. Now you've got to be ready to step back from that when they come and say, oh, well, my child was in hospital. I couldn't do it. Okay, fine. 
mm-hmm. so forth and so on, that you try and put down certain parameters to stabilize the system. And if you don't build a hierarchy of stability from the bottom up and the top down, you can't really intervene in that system. You've got to establish certain criteria for progress and be certain of it, but be ready to change. You've got to be flexible and certain at the same time. It's quite the dichotomy. And uh, yeah, it's good good to not be rigid, to say the least. Um, uh, maybe uh, circling back to the POTS, actually, which you kind of mentioned uh, with, with just the example there with the lean test and everything. I'm just wondering, um, when you have a patient with POTS, are you primarily relying on pharmaceuticals to help regulate those symptoms? Or are there non-pharmaceutical things that are helpful? Hierarchy again. Uh, salt, two teaspoons a day three liters of water on average, but we do the bioimpedance looking at their fluid content, their uh, inner and outer state, and their cell, this phase angle. We look at their muscle mass to look for protein intake. Mm-hmm. So generally speaking, two to three liters of water every day, two teaspoons of salt every day, salt sticks, electrolytes, stockings, 25 to 30 millimeters of mercury pressure, licorice root extract, adrenal cortical extracts. First, that's the first line. If that doesn't work, we jump to midadrine, fluoronet, and then we start stepping it up accordingly. And if there's no progress, then I get a cardiology consult and we look for ejection fraction and then we go to more cardiac stimulants. Oh, by the way, I don't shy away from using stimulants like Adderall and Vyvanse when there's high theta brainwaves and high POTS because they do help with POTS and they do help with motivation and inspiration and dopamine uh, upregulation. So, you know, a lot of people, I don't want to use pharmaceuticals. They distrust them. I don't want, I use Ativan. I use Adderall. I use quercetin. I use salt. Anything that works is good enough for me. Mm -hmm. I I don't draw distinctions. I don't, oh, I'll just use natural. A lot of the people who just want natural get into trouble because the natural can't help them. In some cases, yeah, yeah, you want the best of whatever, best of all worlds. I think is the way to whatever, go. Whatever is needed, yeah. yeah. That's the beauty of being an MD trained in functional medicine. I can go back and forth and negotiate with the patient. And there's some people, like I've had many vegetarian patients who've been vegan for philosophical reasons for 20 years, and I say, I understand and totally sympathize. I was the president of the Vegetarian Society for 10 years. I am now a carnivore. I said I had to change my belief system in order to get the health that I needed to get in order to downregulate inflammation. And they'll go, no, 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 no. There's no way in hell. I said, okay, I'm just putting it into your system as a possible intervention. Yesterday, I was speaking to a patient who I hadn't seen for six months, who was a hardcore vegetarian on philosophical reasons, fully sympathetic. I didn't say don't change. I said, it's so hard to treat you. I asked her how she do. I said, how's the vegetarian diet? She said, I'm fully carnivore now. I said, what are you talking about? <laughs> she said, you were hardcore. You were never going to change that. There's one thing you would never change. What are you talking about? I said, no, no, I changed it. I'm feeling so much better. Mm, that's great. And I'm not against vegetarian diet as a short-term intervention, but generally I don't find it sustainable. For When people are in cell danger response and nutrient depleted, I, it's very hard to repeat. Uh, I find as a lifestyle, if you're resilient and healthy in the health cycle, Mm-hmm. But not when you're in the inflammatory cycle of the cell danger response. I don't think, I don't think we can pull many people out of that just on on 
vegetables and uh, grains. Yeah, I, I've found the same thing as a rule. There's exceptions, of course, but yeah, generally uh, meat seems to be really helpful. And I know me personally, I went to carnivore for a few months, a couple of years ago. I'm still very much meat-based and I just feel, I feel better eating that way. I've dabbled in like, oh, I'll just try eating more veggies again. It's like, my body just doesn't, doesn't want it. It really likes the meat. It's so subtle. And all the Ayurvedic doshas make a difference as to what you can tolerate and not. You've got to know all your diets back to front. You've got to know paleo autoimmune, low histamine, low oxalate, low salicylate, uh, low glycemic. Uh, you've got to know all the variations because people are all over the place with what they need. Mm -hmm. And sometimes if you can't stay one step ahead, you and all the tests don't, they only help you with a couple of parameters. You know, They're not yeah. going to tell you about salicylates. They're not, although one of them does, but you've got to sort of know clinically which diets are most advantageous. But generally, most people need a higher fat diet, mm. generally, and uh, and higher fat meaning all the fats, not just threes. Everybody wants to take fish oil. Always mm -hmm. taking people off fish oil because we measure their fish oil, their omega threes, and they're always through the roof, and their omega sixes are suppressed. And you need the omega six, the linoleic to provide the one tail of the phospholipid mo molecule, the phosphatidylcholine molecule, which creates the outer membrane, and then the phosphatidylethylalamine, which is the inner membrane on which the, you know, the um, oxidative phosphorylation and ATP is produced. Mm -hmm. So you've got to know your fats, and you've got to use fats therapeutically. You've got to know them backwards, and you'll get the right fats. Mm -hmm. um, actually, on that note, Dr. Hoffman, if you don't mind my asking, um, I, I had a, a session with uh, Justine kind of like introducing me to the body bio products and the, um, the, the, the uh, test profile that they, they offer through their clinic or through their company in terms of their interpretation. And I'm just wondering, based on your clinical experience, um, is it the, t if, if say there was a patient who said, you know, I really don't want to spend the money on the, on the body bio, um, testing profile. I uh, just want to take the, you know, the body bio PC, for example, just take that, maybe take some more omega sixes. Um, is there, would you say that it's like a, it's overwhelmingly better to do the labs and get the specific numbers or, um, can you kind of just feel it out through like, Oh, I'm going to put you on the things that people usually need, like the phospholipids, um, the omega sixes. And, and would that help, you know, 80% of people, maybe they don't need to necessarily do the test. I'm just wondering what your experience has been with that. So Brian, I've stopped doing that. I stopped just guessing and hoping for the best. I, I just won't do that. It stresses me out. I don't know. <laughs> Fair you enough. Know? It's Fair like, enough. so you do this and that happens and I need a roadmap. Mm. So the greatest criticism I get is, oh, you cost so much. I don't cost so much. Your labs that I need in order to interpret your biochemistry cost a lot. But that's mm -hmm. that's, take that's your fate. I, I, I'm just helping you. I need to measure. Because if somebody comes in with, you know, uh, rachidonic acid of minus 170 and a lipid profile of minus 225, that person's not recovering until you've repleted their lipids, which takes four to six months at best. Mm. So you need to measure those things. You can't guess them. Mm -hmm. I don't guess anymore. I won't work like that. It's too stressful. Mm -hmm. You've got to measure to manage. It's old cliche. It's true. Okay. And you need a lot of tests. I do at least 12 to 15 baseline. Food, gut, nutrients, fats, mitochondria, autoimmune markers, brain autoimmune markers. And if I need to, Lime workup through, I use not just almond lab, T cell, Ellie spots. I won't do that. I, w I will need Igenex antibody testing, both, 
mm-hmm. and mold. If everybody comes in with a mold mycotoxin test. I got mold illness because I've got, you know, aquatoxins in my urine. No, you don't. Do you fulfill the criteria for mold illness based on Shoemaker's original, you know, you've got to fulfill exposure, you've got to fulfill the cytokine testing, you've got to be positive on the questionnaire, you've got to fail the VCR test. You know, you you can't just do a urine mycotoxin test and say, I've got mold. That's folly. Um, as far as the uh, mitochondrial testing goes, uh, just, you mentioned that kind of in the list of tests there. What's your what's your go-to mito test, if you don't mind sharing? IGL, Germany. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah for, uh, I, I can't work without it. Like, I can't work without a QEG. I can't work without IGL. Wow. Yeah. It, it's the basis for everything I do. The IGL has given me the capacity to clinically work with Robert Naveau's theory, research. Mm-hmm. It's the clinical application of Robert Naveau's work. Mm-hmm. It's got like 300 parameters and algorithms of what you need to do. Great. Is is he affiliated with that lab or is it just a happy coincidence? I, you know, I don't know. And I asked Justine the other day, he said, you know, do you know if Robert knows about IGL? She said she doesn't know. I don't know if he does. Hmm. And I don't know if he'd even approve of the test, but I do know from clinical experience that when that test gets better, the patient's better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when you see the cell membrane repair, when you see the voltage repair, when you see the glutathione go up, when you see phospholipids increase, when you see cardiolipin increase, when you see the toxic load go down, when you see mitochondrial numbers from autophagy go up, that person's better. Mm-hmm. That's great. Yeah, so I use it, test it, check it, treat it, six months later, repeat it. Mm-hmm. And that, along with the body biofatty acid profile, that I... And the, I do the prodrome plasmodogen. Pro, pro, it comes people come in. Some people come in with minus, like nothing, for plasmodogens, which are the intracellular production through the peroxisomes of mm-hmm. the fats that are necessary to balance inflammation and so and myelin. Mm-hmm. So I use those extensively. Yeah, and I do. I can't do without them. And we have to turn people away because they're gonna. And it's a tragedy. I don't know how to solve the problem. I'm waiting for an angel investor to say, here's a $10 billion. Patients can come. <laughs> that sounds nice. If I hear of any, I'll pass them your way because it sounds like a good investment. Um, Somebody out there is going to have an altruistic bent for integrative, holistic, functional medicine. I don't know. That, would be, nice. that would be nice. Um uh, you'd also mentioned um, uh, um, using adrenal gland extract um, for certain patients. And I'm just wondering, do you have a, um, do you find that one brand or one kind of source seems to work better than others, or is it not really important where it's sourced from? You know, I use OrthoAdapt mm-hmm. because it's got the licorices, they've got the ginseng. Now, the ashwagandha in there, you got to watch out because they can raise liver enzymes on one out of 50 people. Really? That frequent, eh? Wow. Yeah, yeah. And the licorice can raise blood pressure. So, but I do like it. I go to hydrocortisone if I need to. If I if I do this uh, ZRT saliva four point profile, mm-hmm. and I do serum cortisol and ACTH, and they're in the tank, and I do the twenty four hour cortisols and they low, I use hydrocortisone liberally, ten milligrams morning, five at noon, or orthodapt. That I try to orthodapt more than I use hydrocortisone. Mm-hmm. And of course, you've got to fix the thyroid. And the thyroid, thyroid, thyroid therapeutics are highly problematic. 
you know, you get a TSH of four and people say, oh, you go to their GP. They say, oh, that's perfect. No, it's not. Mm. And they won't do T3, T4. And they won't do reverse T3. Mm -hmm. And they don't do thyroid antibodies. If you don't do the whole spectrum of thyroid and you don't test appropriately, you, you get into all kinds of pickles, you know. Because mm -hmm. thyroid drives the heat that drives the Krebs cycle. If you increase the heat of a person's inter inner metabolism by one degree, you the enzymes that drive the Krebs cycle go up six times in efficiency and speed. So your ATP production speeds up. Thyroid's huge. Thyroid's the most important hormone of all. Yeah, it's, uh, absolutely. Um, as but you can't as... drive a thyroid if the adrenals are collapsed because then you crash a patient. So it's thyroid adrenal first, then yeah. the sex hormones and blah, blah. Yeah, you know, it's also interrelated. Um, as far and, as and, and the phosphatidylcholine membrane has got the receptors for the hormones. If you've got no PC and no PE, there's yeah. no way to for those hormones to dock. So you can push them all you like, but they're not going to get into the cell to turn on the the biochemistry of the cell. Absolutely, yeah. Um, uh, just as we're uh, kind of winding down on our time here, Dr. Hoffman, I was just wondering, and I'm, I'm um, kind of excited and, and nervous to ask you this question. Um, so I'm just wondering just where you, you know, I think you mentioned, um, I, I think it was during the recording, how you've done like, you know, 300 uh, courses or conferences, you know, in the last, uh, you know, 15 years or something like that. Um, I'm just wondering what's uh, on your radar right now for like kind of new frontiers that you're excited about? What are you kind of like, what's recently uh, in the last few months kind of come across your, your desk um, or your your uh your computer that's uh kind of got you excited or interested well it's a it's a difficult question because i've got different layers and levels i only think in layers and levels i i've got a one-track mind mm -hmm. so at level two i do the tfim conference all the time yeah it's a great uh, one. i do the icai conference yeah uh, uh, i'm not going to the environmental medicine conference IFM, I haven't gone to for a while. A4M, I haven't gone to for a while. Mm -hmm. I just pick and choose where I want to look at biochemistry. Mm -hmm. oh, I do a lot of the peptide for seeds conferences too. Mm -hmm. And I'm trying to just, you know, because we can't do, um, we can't do uh, stem cells in Canada, I'm having to learn stem cells by going down to Mexico and learning stem cell exercises. Oh, okay. yeah. So that's level two. But my real love is art and alchemy. Very nice. Level two. So yeah. I study art theory, art history, and I study alchemy and Jungian psychology. That's my mm -hmm. true love. Mm -hmm. the, the, the evolution of the inner cartography of the individual, you know, are they the outer union between male, female, and then the inner union between the internal masculine, feminine, and then the descent into the dark and the greedo, and then the evolution into individuation over time. When you bring back the parts of yourself that you've left behind as you evolve into hopefully as complete a human being as you meant to become which is never complete so, which is unfortunate <laughs> but it's a work in progress you never get bored at least alchemy is my great love i, I love reading about alchemy mm -hmm. and how young how young genius just you know he pioneered the correlation between the inner cartography of the soul and alchemy and he put it together and just, I don't know how, and there was no internet. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. No internet. He just yeah. got books from all the great book dealers and he sat and he read and he smoked his pipe and he put it together and he saw patients. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Standing on the shoulders of giants. It's a beautiful thing.
he was a genius. He, he is one of the pioneers. He's one of the greats. Mm -hmm. I think Robert Laveau is going to turn out to be one of the greats too. I, I don't doubt it. Yeah. Um, well, uh, Dr. Hoffman, um, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. Just before we Pleasure. wind up, uh, wind down our conversation, would you mind just sharing with, well, I, I know we spoke, uh, I was going to ask you to share with uh, listeners where they, how they can access you and whatnot. I know you, before we started recording, you mentioned you don't really have all that committed to memory. So I got to, uh, oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, my staff will send, I, I, I my website is hoffmancenters.com mm -hmm. and the rest, I don't know, but my staff will send you the the details they they have it on a piece of they have it on the slide perfect well i will uh i'll, I'll post uh, as i said earlier i'll post that all in the uh, show notes um and if you're uh, folks watching this on youtube it'll be in the comment section below so just our video description below i should say so we'll, we'll post that information uh, and also for uh, any um, non-canadians or non uh, folks not from the uk listening center is uh, spelled the canadian way um re not er for center so for center.com um but uh, uh dr hoffman before we uh wrap up was there anything else that you w wanted to share oh please go ahead yeah there's just one thing if people inspired by that sort of model i used if you go onto my website and scroll down there's a video icei lecture i did um a few years ago and i go into more detail on the seven levels uh hour and a half powerpoint where it's all set out if they're interested Wonderful. And if they're truly interested, they go on my website and I, there's a six hour course that I did. But the one and a half hour lectures is a concise summary of that model I use. Wonderful. Great. Yeah. Well, um, thank you so much for your time today, Dr. Hoffman. I really appreciate all of your wisdom. I really appreciate the approach that you take with your patients. Very, very inspirational. And um, I uh, really thank you for your time today. No, thanks, Brian. I look forward to I just uh, looked at your website and I saw, oh, that's everything I do. That's everything I do. That's everything. <laughs> I'm going to look at your website and see what you have to. So thanks. Thanks, Brian. Thanks for the interview. Oh, my, my pleasure. Um, well, uh, thanks so much to everyone for your attention today. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Overcoming Chronic Illness podcast. And uh, we'll leave it there. And please stay tuned for the next one. See you.